0: Welcome to the Harvest Bible Chapel of Winston-Salem podcast. We believe in proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, lifting high the name of Jesus through worship, believing firmly in the power of prayer, and sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. For more information, visit HarvestWS.org. Here's this week's message. We are in our fourth week. In this series that we've entitled, The God Who Builds. Walking through the book of Nehemiah. And so, this week we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3. So if you want to turn to Nehemiah chapter 3, you can do that. And we are talking in this series about this idea that we serve a God who builds. And I've said this every week, but I'm going to say it again and I'll continue to say it. This definition of what we mean by the God who builds. That we believe that God is faithful To remember and act upon His promises. To build His people and His church for His glory. That that's what we're looking at as we walk through this book of Nehemiah over these 13 weeks that we have been in it as we continue to walk through it this morning, being in chapter 3. Because here's what I know about my life is that God is in a constant building in my life, and unfortunately, because of my sinful nature, I can oftentimes tear down through the choices that I make and the disobedience that that I have in my life, that I can tear down what God is building. But praise God that God is not only a God who builds, but God is also a God who rebuilds, right? Praise God for that, that He's faithful to remember and act upon His promises to build and rebuild His people and His church, For his glory. And so we've been walking through this book of Nehemiah, finding in Nehemiah 1 that Nehemiah is called by God to be a part of this amazing work that's so much beyond what he can do. But he accepts this call of obedience to leave the palace of the king and to go to Jerusalem 800 miles away and to rally God's people to believe that God is indeed the God who builds. And if you remember, we talked about how God builds, that He builds according to our knowledge, knowing what we need, when we need it, how we need it. That He builds according to our knowledge. And He also builds according to His faithfulness. Thank the Lord it's not based on my faithfulness. That that's the God that we serve. And so this morning we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 3. And if you've ever done this and you've walked through the Bible... in in, in a reading plan or something like that, and maybe you may be there right now as you've resoluted to read through the Bible uh, and started in January, and maybe you're at a a passage in Genesis right now or Exodus, and you hit one of those chapters and it's just full of names. Anybody ever experienced that? Just full of names and you're like, oh, really? Really? This is what I got today, God? But if we believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God then we can say that when we hit one of those chapters of names, that there must be a reason, there's something in there that God wants us to see. And so this is one of those chapters. And so even right now, you probably skimmed across chapter 3, and we're going to go all through chapter 3 today. And you're like, man, we got a bunch of names. What in the world is Johnny going to teach on today? Well, I'm glad you asked. But before we get in Nehemiah chapter 3, I want, you to, I want you to go back to grade school. Can you go back to grade school with me? And do you remember when, when it was recess time? And whether you were playing kickball or basketball or any type of sport of any kind, do you remember what would happen? Like, there would there were just, out of nowhere, or maybe it was a sign you'd have two captains. Do you remember this? And so you'd have two captains, and you'd have one captain stand, and, uh, and another captain would stand away from, from the other person, and then you'd have this long line of, of kids, right? You remember this? And then you know what would happen, right? They'd start to pick teams. And so whether you flip a coin or whatever it was, you decide which captain was going to pick first. Do you remember the anxiety of that? Remember the anxiety of that? Some of you are breaking out in a cold sweat right now because I'm, I'm, I'm causing you to think back. Remember the anxiety? What was the anxiety stemming from? If you were like me, it was this. All I care about is what? That I'm not the last person picked. Right? That you're not that lonely guy or lonely girl sitting there and everybody else has already been picked and you're like, oh, I guess I'm the last one. That was horrible, Right? or maybe you're like well that was never me right some of you are like that was never me i have no idea what you're talking about so maybe you were like in the in the line and, and you had the two captains there and you were thinking to yourself well they better pick me cuz i know i'm the best in this group so and then all of a sudden you realize they didn't think that so you weren't the first person picked so regardless of who you are today you think back to that time where you're like man all i care about is i'm not the last person picked i have not a, i don't have an athletic bone in my body Please, Lord, don't let me be the last person picked and endure that shame. Or you're the person who's like, I don't know why he didn't pick me. I'm going to show that joker. So regardless of where you're at today, here's what I want you to understand as you thought back to that time of your life that was maybe very traumatic, and you spent many dollars to work through that, through therapy. I don't know. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture with this main idea that the God who builds desires to use all of his people to accomplish all of his work. That that's the idea that we're going to look at this morning. That the God who builds desires to use all of his people to accomplish all of his work. So let's look at Nehemiah chapter 3 and we'll begin reading in verse 1 and get ready because we're reading all the verses. All right, so get ready. Nehemiah 3, we start in verse 1. It says, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers and priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated it as far as the Tower of the Hundred and as far as the Tower of Hanel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zakor the son of Imri built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, the son of Hakaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Bereacah, son of Meshabel, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bena, repaired. And next to them, the Tekoites repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve the Lord. Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Basodeah, repaired the gate of Yeshena. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon, the Marathite, the son of the, the men of Gibeon and Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. And next to them, Uziel, the son of Hariah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to them, Hananiah, one of the perfumers repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as the broad wall. And next to them, Rephiah, the son of Hur, ruler of half of the district of Jerusalem, repaired. And next to them, Jedidiah, the son of Hermaph, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hattush, the son of Hashbelah, repaired. Malchijah, the son of Harim, the Hashbub, the son of Pathmoab, repaired another section. in the tower of the ovens. And next to them, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half of the district of Jerusalem, repaired he and his daughters. Hanum, the inhabitants of Zenoa, repaired the valley gate. They built it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malchijah, the son of Rechab, ruler of the district of Bethacharim, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it. And set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalem, the son of Kohaz, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah of the king's garden as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. And after him, Nehemiah, the son of Azbuk, ruler of half of the district of Bessor, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him, the Levites repaired. Raham, the son of Benai, next to him. Hashbiah, ruler of the half of the district of Keilah, repaired for his district. And after him, their brothers repaired. Bevai, the son of Handad, ruler of half of the district of Calah. And next to him, Azar, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory of the buttress. And after him, Baruch, the son of Zebai, repaired another section from the buttress to the door of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. And after him, Meramoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hakaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. And after him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. And after them, Benjamin and Hashbub repaired opposite their house. And after them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, the son of Aniah, repaired beside his own house. And after him, Benui, the son of Hendod, repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress. We're almost done. Verse 25. And to the corner, Palai the son of Uzai repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. And after him, Padiah the son of Perosh, and the temple servants living on Ophel repaired to a point opposite the water gate on the east of the projecting tower. And after him, the Tekoites repaired another section opposite the great projecting tower as far as the wall of Ophel. And above the horse gates, the priests repaired each one opposite his own house. After them, Zadok, the son of Emur, repaired opposite his own house And after him, Shemaiah, the son of Shekinah, the the keeper of the east gate, repaired. And after him, Hananiah, the son of Shemaiah, and Hanan, the sixth son of Zaloph, repaired another section. And after him, Meshulam, the son of Barakiah, repaired opposite his chamber. And after him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Woo! It's a lot of names, right? I hope you're feeling some sympathy for me as I read all those names. And I prepared to read all those names. I said this before I read it. And I want to say it again. The God who builds... Desires to use all of His people to accomplish all of His work. Now, I don't know if you caught this or not, and hopefully you did, as we took time to read 32 verses with a lot of names. I, as I read through this, I started to count. I started to see a theme. How many times it said, next to Him, or next to them. Or how many times it said, after Him, Or after them. I actually counted them. Fourteen times the phrase next to him or them is mentioned. Sixteen times after him or them is mentioned. There's some pics of the gates of of what, what each company of people accomplished on the screens. And you can look at those as they cycle through those. But I want you to say this to one another, alright? Get ready. I'm going to say this phrase and then I want you to say it to the person next to you. That God desires to use me to do His work. Say that to the person next to you. God desires to use me to do His work. Say it again. God desires to use you. And I use that word desire for a very important reason and it was Intentional is because God's going to build and God's going to do His work. And it's not dependent upon me. I hope that you've gotten that as we've already walked through these first two chapters in our series, The God Who Builds. That God's going to build what He's going to build. And God's going to work the way that He's going to work. And He gives me the opportunity and the privilege and the responsibility... To be part of what God's doing. But I still have to make a choice on whether or not I am going to see it as an opportunity, as a privilege, as a responsibility to get in and to say, God, I want to be a part of what you're building. And God, you for some reason have given me the opportunity to be a part of what you're building. But if I choose not to do that, God's going to still build. God's going to still do his work. I just miss out on the opportunity. See, God desires to use all of His people to accomplish all of His work, but God's still going to accomplish all of His work, whether or not that's with all of His people. And what I love is we've read these verses today and spent this time, like probably ten minutes, just to read this chapter of Scripture, is what I see is so beautiful. Beautiful. It's because in chapter 2, Nehemiah tells his people, hey, we're in trouble. Remember, if you were here last week, we're in trouble. The gates and walls of Jerusalem are down. But we're going to rise and build. And it says that their people strengthened their hands for the good work. They said, we want to be a part of that. And now in chapter 3, you see every single person that calls Judah, the southern kingdom, their home, that is in the province of Jerusalem saying, we're going to be a part of this. Every person. And so we're going to look at this morning as just two groups of people. That's it. Two types of people that I see in this chapter of chapter 3. And here's the first kind of people. Those who choose to not engage with God's work. It's the first type of people. Those that make the choice to not engage in God's work. And the phrase that I just said where it's a beautiful chapter in chapter 3 where you see all of God's people jumping in and saying, I have the privilege to be a part of what God wants to build. Hopefully you said to yourself, that's not true. Hopefully you caught me and said, wait a minute, you said something, that's not true. Because look at verse 5. Because if you said that, you're right. And I said the opposite on purpose, so hopefully you caught it. Look at verse 5. It says that next to them the Tokoites repaired. But look at this. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. Two types of people. And the first group of people are those that choose to not engage with God's work. Now you have to understand something in the context of, of where Tokoah is. And Tokoites were from Tokoa. Didn't know if you realize that or not, but I'm going to make that clear. And you remember in chapter 2, you had three people that stood out that were opposition. Remember? You had Tobiah, you had Sambal, and then you had Geshem. And Geshem had influence over the Arab tribes. And in Tokoa, Tekoa was close to these Arab tribes that Geshem oversaw. And so we don't know why these nobles that were from Tekoa made the choice to not stoop and do the work. And I think it's interesting that that word stoop is used. We don't know why that is. They could have been afraid because of the influence that that was upon them from Geshem and his Arab tribes. He could have been afraid. They could have just said, hey, that's that's not for us. And it's unfortunate as I look at this and you go through 32 verses, but you still have in verse 5 some people that choose not to engage in the work that God wants them to do. And it's unfortunate that there will always be people. Hope this isn't you. There will always be people who will choose to sit on the sidelines and watch other people pick up the slack. It's an unfortunate thing. There's always going to be people that choose to not engage with God's work. These nobles were God's people. But they made an unfortunate choice that says, I'm not engaging in this work. And I thought to myself as I thought, man, God, I don't want to be one of those people that choose to not engage in your work. And I thought to myself, well, what are some reasons that oftentimes I, myself, or others could use to not engage in God's work? And here's the first one I thought of as I looked at verse 5 and looked at these nobles of Tekoa. That I could be full of myself. You can be full of yourself. And that can be a reason why you make the choice to not engage in God's work. And so before I even expound on that, I think it's important that we define what God's work is. Here's God's work. Here's how I defined it. Representing the gospel with those that I come in contact with. That's God's work. Representing the gospel with those that I come in contact with. Every man, woman, and child. And I use that word represent for a very important reason. Because the word represent means to speak, but also to act on delegated authority. That me choosing to be a part of God's work is me saying, Lord, you've given me the privilege and the opportunity and the responsibility to represent the gospel, to represent what Jesus Christ has done in my life with every man, woman, and child that you sovereignly place in front of my path. And I'm not just to speak the gospel of what Jesus has done for me, but I'm also to, re- to act it out that I'm to show by the way that I live my life and by what I say and how I say it and how I conduct my life, that Jesus has changed me and the Holy Spirit is changing me as I grow in my relationship with Him. That's God's work. It's God's work. And so maybe one of the reasons why we're not engaging in God's work is we're full of ourselves. I mean, I find it interesting. I said this already that it says the nobles would not stoop. They thought they were too good to get their hands dirty. They thought they were too good. That they were at a status that was too great. And I wonder if we sit here today and we say to ourselves, I'm not engaged in God's work at all. Like I think where the place that that starts, if you call this place your home, is I'm. you sit here today and say, I'm not serving in any aspect of this church. And I wonder... If it's because maybe we're full of ourselves. And so often across our churches, across this country, we approach churches, some country club, right? Like, what are the benefits and what are the things that they can offer me? Instead of walking into a place that stands on the gospel of Jesus Christ and saying, "Okay, how can I be used in this place to build what God wants to build? Maybe one of the reasons is full of yourself, full of ourselves. Here's another reason. I wonder if it's fear. I wonder if it's fear. Remember I gave you the context of the nobles? That we don't know exactly why they didn't serve, but there was this pressure from Geshem and the Arabs, Arab tribes, I'm sure, that Tekoa was right next to these tribes. That, hey, you're not going to build those walls. You're not building that. And I wonder if it's fear. I wonder if we say to ourselves, what do I have to give up if I get involved? Will I have to give up if I serve in this church? Will I have to give up? Sleep? Some time? Will I have to give up? I'm fearful of that. Maybe it's, maybe it's this. What is, what is it going to cost me? What if it doesn't work out? What if I can't do it well? And do you remember when we talked about fear? What did we say about fear? Fear will suspend what God desires to build in and through your life. What if it's fear? Maybe it's this. Maybe it's frustration. Maybe it's frustration. Like I've tried that before. This person did this to me. This didn't work out the way that I wanted to. You don't know this situation that happened, and so you've checked out. Frustration? Is that why you're choosing? Is that why I'm choosing not to engage in God's work? Maybe it's, maybe it's failure. Maybe it's not fully of yourself. Maybe it's not fear. Maybe it's not frustration. Maybe, maybe it's failure. Man, I tried that, and it, I think it crashed and burned. So now you're on the sidelines. We don't know exactly why the nobles made the choice not to engage in God's work, but I wonder how many of us sit here today and we call this place our home, and we're on the sidelines. Now hear me on this. Serving in a ministry in this church isn't where it ends, Right? I would never say to someone, God's plan for your life is to serve in this ministry, and that's where it stops. Never say that. But here's what I've found in my life, is that when I'm not engaged in service in God's church, I am probably not going to be engaged in God's service outside of His church. It's not where it stops, but it probably is where it starts. And what I love that we're going to see as we walk through the pages of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah starts with his people saying, Israel, we have to build these walls. It's actually defaming the name of God by these walls lying in ruin. We need to rise up and we need to build. And he focuses first on what they need to do inwardly and what we're going to find is, is then, as that, those walls are built in 52 days, that as they move from that, then Nehemiah concentrates on what has God called us to be as a people so that we can not only be strong inwardly, but now we can be a light outwardly. See, unfortunately, there's people, this, there's a type of people that aren't going to engage in God's work. I thought of it this way. When I was in Chicago a few months ago, Lord, Lucas and I, my son, had the privilege to go to Chicago Bears game. And I'm a Chicago Bears fan, if you didn't know that already. And I remember when we were going to that game and we got to that stadium and we were sitting in that stadium and it was an amazing time. And we had all our beer, Bears gear. I mean, I had my hat, my jersey, um, everything. I had my tickets. We were cheering. Lucas was all geared up. And we were sitting in that stadium. But here's what I found. Not one time, even though I was a fan, even though I bought a ticket, even though I wore the gear and spent all the money on that and everything else and have been a Bears fan forever, they never once asked me to go on the field. I know it's hard to believe, No, it's hard to believe, but not once. Think about it this way, you, whoever, you're a fan of whoever, and I'm not going to mention any team because I'm going to leave one out if I do. Whatever, whatever team you're a fan of, you ever find yourself saying this? Hey, well, we played pretty good last night. Did you see what we did? And I remember, like, when I was in high school, never hearing that before, and someone referring to we, and I thought to myself, we? You didn't do anything. Right? Man, we played really well. Oh, man, we, we, we should have done this, or we should have done that. And we used we, 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 we. And you didn't do anything. You cheered it on. And it's sad that so many churches across our country are like a football stadium. 80,000 people who need exercise watching 22 people who need a rest. Like, how true is that of our churches, unfortunately? we have so many people, Woo! yes, worship was great, yes, I hope you say this, the message was great, yes, what an awesome time to see our other people high-fiving each other, you even have the magnet on the back of your car, and you're driving, but I wonder today, are you engaged in God's work, or is it 80,000 people watching 22 people who need a desperate rest? Because I don't see that in Nehemiah chapter 3. I see a massive amount of people that say, man, we want to be a part of what God is building. Because we understand that we have the privilege to understand that God desires to use all of His people to accomplish all of His work. And all means me. And all means you. And so my desire for this church, this expression of Christ's church, is that we wouldn't have anybody. Who's making the choice like the nobles did that says we're not going to stoop ourselves to, to do the work. And whatever reason that is, full of yourself, fear frustration, failure, I don't know what it is. Can I be totally transparent? I know this church has been through a lot. I know that. That didn't surprise me. I knew that. I know the history. And I wonder how many of us are on the sidelines and we've, we've stopped serving and we can look back and say yeah i remember when i used to do this or i used to do that when i look at the context of the book of nehemiah remember ezra started to build the temple with the people and they started to rebuild the walls and king artaxerxes says it needs to stop we're 13 to 20 years after the walls first started to be built And Nehemiah says, and he walks in and he says, listen, I know the walls have lied in ruin for a while, but it's time to get building again. And it's a new day in this church. It's a new day! And I wonder how many of us are saying, man, I'm not engaged in God's work right now. Let's not be like the nobles. Let's be like this next group of people. Because here's the second type of people. Those who choose to engage in God's work. Those who choose to to engage in God's work. And can I tell you what God's work is? It's a holy work. It's a holy work. Look at verse 1. It says, Then Eliashib the high priest rose up with his brothers the priests. I think it's so interesting that the high priest, it starts off with that. Hey, I'm going to lead by example. It says, Eliashib the high priest, and it's interesting that Eliashib literally means God restores. God restores. God restores. Elisha, the high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, and they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. And I find it so interesting that when you understand what the sheep gate was used for, the sheep gate was used to usher in the sheep for animal sacrifices. Because before Jesus Christ comes, God, in the, with Moses, sets up a sacrificial system. And he sets up a sacrificial system and God tells Moses to do that to once again remind the people that every time they go through this bloody exercise that they can't pay for their, their sins themselves that it requires a perfect, spotless lamb. It requires the blood of that lamb to cover their sins. And God institutes that with Moses. And here we are in Nehemiah before Jesus Christ comes where that's still taking place. And I find it interesting that it's the first gate that they build. They build this first gate because they understand the spiritual significance of what they're called to do in building these walls. It's a holy work. It's a holy work. And when I think about it in our day, on the other side of the cross, you and I have been entrusted with this most amazing responsibility and opportunity to be a part of building gates Building figurative gates that will be used to lead people to understand what Jesus has done for them. That that's the work that God calls us to be engaged in in this church. Is that we get to be a part of building gates that will be used to usher in the truth of the gospel to every person that's involved in those. That means those that are teaching our children right now in children's ministry... You know what they're doing? They're building gates. They're building gates in those little children's minds. They're building gates so that they can under, better understand how much Jesus loves them. It's a holy work. That means those people that greet you at the doors when you come in, do you know that people decide on whether or not they're going to stay at a church within the five first five minutes of when they come? So those people that are greeting you know what their responsibility is? To build a gate to give a smiling face, to ask what someone's name is. Are you new here? So that when they come into this place, the gate has already begun to be built so that they can hear the truth of the gospel. The people that serve in our youth ministry, you know what they're doing? They're building gates in our teenagers' lives. The people that serve in college ministry, they're building gates in our college students' lives. The people that give of their resources and finances to this church, you know what they're doing? They're building gates so the gospel can be proclaimed. You know, the people that are involved in thinking about how do we reach out to our community you know what they're doing. They're building spiritual gates, and I could go on and on and on. And I wonder how many of us are here today, whether we are engaged in some type of active service in this church or we're not. If we are, I wonder if we've forgotten that the work that we are involved in is a holy work. It's a holy work. It's not just something I do because I've always done it. It's a holy work. Unless you think that I'm above you, you don't think I have to remind myself sometimes when I get fatigued and I get tired and I get frustrated and I get fearful and I'm scared of failing again and all those or I get full of myself that I don't have to bring myself back to remember, God, you've called me to a holy work. A holy work. It's not about me. It's about what you want to build in and through me. God, you've called me to build spiritual gates You've called me to represent the gospel to every man, woman, and child that comes across my path. It's a holy work. Paul knew it's a hard work. Paul knew it's a holy work. He knew the temptation to want to quit. He knew the temptation to want to... Sit on the sidelines after maybe failure or frustration is hit. That's why he tells the Galatians in Galatians 6, 9, not let us not grow weary in doing good. Because in due season we'll reap if we faint not. It's also a specific work. Not just a holy work, it's a specific work. I've said this before, but I want to say it again. Every single one of us, get this, every single one of us are full-time ministers of the gospel every one of us we've placed our faith and trust in jesus christ as our lord and savior i am a full-time minister of the gospel full-time and i'm representing the gospel in a good way or i'm representing the gospel in a wrong way but i'm full-time so i want to ask yourself i want you to ask yourself where's your pulpit Where's your pulpit? Where are you saying, this is where God's called me to proclaim the excellencies of him who called me out of darkness into his marvelous light? Where's your pulpit? Where's your pulpit? Because we're preaching something. Where's your pulpit? In Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13, it's on your screen. I love what Paul says here. He says He gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the shepherds and the teachers. So He gave these, these, these people to the church to do what? To equip the pastors for the work of the ministry. Is that what it says? I don't see that. Maybe if you do, let me see your translation so we can throw it out the window. <laughs> to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. For what? For building up... To the responsibility that every one of us have is to be involved in God's work, to build what He wants to build in me and through me. Now, I didn't have water all over the place for various reasons because we have cables here usually, but I want you to think of your life as a sponge. And if I had a bucket of water here and I dipped this sponge into that bucket of water and held it submerged in that water, you know what would happen? This sponge would fill up with water. But at some point, this sponge hits a point where it can't hold any more water. And I can can take that sponge out and submerge it again in that water and hold it down there for hours and days. You know what's going to happen? Not going to hold any more water. It's reached its maximum capacity to hold the water that it can hold until what? Until I take it and I wring it out. Then I can take that sponge and submerse it and fill it up again. And I wonder how many of us, that our lives are like this sponge, And we're like, man, I want more teaching, and I want more Bible studies, and I want to get involved in this, and learn, 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 learn. And the sponge is filled to capacity. And what we find is, is it's like, man, I'm learning so much, but I've I've hit a wall. Because you haven't wrung yourself out. You haven't said, let me take what I have learned and what has been poured into me and let me find someone else whose bucket is empty so I can pour it into them so that then they can take their sponge and they can fill it, and then they can get and then they can wring it out, so that when I wring myself out that I'm ready to receive more. It's a specific work. I don't know if you noticed this or not, but when we read Nehemiah chapter three, it was very specific in what each person did and how they did it. It's a specific work. So it's me me saying, God, where do you want me to serve? Specifically, where can I wring my sponge out? And then get this, it's a collective work. It's a collective work. And I say that because how many times it said next to him or next to them? Remember, 14 times. After him, after them, 16 times. Hear me on this. There are no bench players in God's economy. Remember how I started out this message of the anxiety of, am I going to be picked last? Please don't let me be picked last. In God's economy, there's no scrubs. There's no bench players. Every person has been given the opportunity by God to be used. And here's why I say that. Look at verse 12. It says, next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohiah, ruler of the district of Jerusalem, repaired. And look at this. This is what I love is in here. This didn't have to be in here. He and his daughters. During this time period, it wasn't common in a genealogy like this to make reference of daughters. Nehemiah does. Why? To say, hey, it's a collective work. There's no bench players. There's no scrubs. Every person has been gifted by God to be used in a way that God wants to build. Then poor Melchizedek, right? Do you notice verse 14? He really got the short end of the stick. Because it says, Melchizedek, the son of Rachab, repaired the dung gate. I don't think I have to explain what that is, right? Like, seriously? Can you imagine them giving out? I don't know how they decided who's going to build what. Seriously? The dung gate? That's what I get? But I don't see anywhere where where Malchajah balks at that. No, he sets its doors. He sets its bolts. He sets its gates. Why? Because it's a collective work. There's no bench players in God's economy, and there's no job too small in God's economy. See, I want to give you some things this morning as we close this morning in this chapter of what I'm growing to understand when I I make the choice to be engaged in God's work. I want to give you these. What am I growing in my understanding when I make the choice to engage in God's work? Here's the first thing. That my time is God's time. That's what I'm growing in my understanding in. That God, my time and what I love to think is my time is really God's time. Ephesians 5.16 says making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Here's the next thing I'm growing in my understanding of. My talents are God's talents. What I'm good at, how I'm wired, things that I'm naturally good at, those aren't my talents, those are God's talents. He's given those things to me. He's given me my time. He's given me my talents. 1 Peter 4.10 says this. Each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. My time is God's time. My talents are God's talents. Here's another one that I'm growing in my understanding in as I engage in God's work. My money is God's money. My money is God's money. It's not my money. It's God's money. I love what 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 10 says. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. So he who engages in understanding. I want to make eternal investment with the resources that I've been given by God. I want to make eternal investments. That's the return that I want on my money. Look at what it says. That... He, God who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food, who gives you the things that you have, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. For sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. That when I understand that my time is really God's time, that my talents are really God's talents, that my money... It's actually God's money. And I say, man, I want to sow. I want to get involved in God's work. I don't want to be in the sidelines of this church. I want to get involved. I want to get back in the game if I've been on the sidelines for fear or frustration or failure or I'm full of myself. God, I want to get back in the game. Because here's what I know and here's what Your Word promises. That when I invest what You've given me into Your purposes and Your work, You'll multiply more. Not so that I can have more stuff but so that I can have more to invest. And I wonder if we're short on time because we're shortchanging God of our time. I wonder if we're not finding a sweet spot with where God has gifted us because we're not recognizing, wait a minute, these talents, how am I using them for God's work? I wonder if we're struggling financially because we're thinking to ourselves that 100% without God's blessing is worth more than 90% with it. See, it's bringing ourselves back to this amazing reality that the God who builds desires to use His people to accomplish all of His work. I want to point your attention to the screens right now and just show you of the opportunity that we have to engage in God's work and just a few people who understand this principle. I want you to watch these screens.
1: My name is Brian Daniels, I have been serving on the setup crew for about a year now. I can't sing, I can't play an instrument, uh, nobody wants to hear me singing. The, the compelling thing is trying to get to know more people, trying to get more involved, uh, just, just trying to find some way to contribute, you know, you have that little, that little gnaw in the pit of your stomach that, 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 that you need to be doing a little more.
2: My name is Jill Daniels and I've been serving on Setup Crew for approximately a year. I started serving because my husband was already serving and he was taking our kids in turn to go with him and I hadn't quite found a place where I thought I could serve so um, I just approached him and said well what if we all got up early and went to church so I started because he had started. I think there are a lot of biblical examples of serving and i think our first and foremost is jesus christ and the way he served the disciples and served the church i think we're called to serve one another within our church and serving on the welcome team is just one of the ways i get to do that i would say it's brought you know a better picture of what happens at a mobile church Um, just knowing all the behind the scenes and what it takes to set up the church for a service on sunday there's a lot of details that people really don't understand so for me it helps me appreciate more of what I see when I go into church on a Sunday morning.
3: My name is Nathan Wallen and I've been serving in Harvest Kids for five years. Well, besides just uh, wanting to serve in some capacity I've always had a love for kids and, and being around them and just their energy and uh, having the opportunity to teach. If I can have the opportunity just to, to uh, allow God to use me to pass on a little bit of what I've learned and what he's teaching me to them to see them start moving in that direction it it may not even happen you know when they're younger but maybe one day something they heard you know down the road or something they learned in harvest kids will, will impact them
1: working on the set crew has impacted us it's impacted us as a family because I bring everyone I bring Jill I bring Hayden Cameron and Bailey everyone has a job everyone ships in whether they want to or not, they are. everyone is learning uh, what it takes to, to, to have church.
2: I've really been blessed by the relationship with the other greeters on the team as well as within the church. I think it's really caused me to slow down. I hang out now a little bit before and after services, and I've really gotten the opportunity to get to know people better.
3: And we need to be a unified body. And. Uh, to be able to to step in, regardless if I'm going to be super awesome at a position or, or something. If there's a need that, that, that the church has, I want to be able to fill that in any way I can.
2: First, it just started out as, uh, this is something I can do. And then it became being more aware of changing the cafeteria into the classrooms. And so now I find myself, while I'm um, setting stuff up, Praying for the, the adults that are going to be in that room and the children that they have to teach. Uh,
3: how can you not enjoy all those little smiling faces every, every morning and the hugs that you get uh, on Sunday mornings? So that's a lot of motivation as well. Um, well, The Bible calls us to serve. It's a pretty easy question for that. Um, you know, I, I, I see, I guess, the benefits of, uh, of where I've served in the past. Um, and, and serving at this church right now and I'm just I uh, see the need um, and it's there and um, I'm so thankful to be able to fill, fill the gaps.
2: If you're thinking about serving do it.
1: Find something everyone's got something to, to give.
0: You know, we don't show that video to make much of any person that's on that screen or others, that are serving. But we've come to a passage of Scripture. I didn't pull this out of the air. This is the next chapter. And what an amazing thing that we're talking about a story that happened thousands of years ago. Because a group of people decided that every person was necessary to do the work that God had called them to do. And God has given us a holy work, has He not? To represent Jesus to every man, woman, and child that we come in contact with inside of these doors and outside. And the light that shines the brightest shines brightest at home. And I believe God wants to do amazing things and He has done amazing things to this expression of His church. And I want this church to be a place that if we cease to exist, our community would miss us. But it starts by us first saying, hey, God wants to build something in this place. And it means He wants to use all of His people to be involved in all the work that He wants to do. So I'm going to serve, I'm going to get off the sidelines of whatever reason I had that I did. And I'm going to get back in the game because there's no bench players. I'm going to get back involved in serving so that this church can continue to be and to see God to do immeasurably more than we could ask or think Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. So we're going to sing and I just want you to just take some time, evaluate your hearts. Maybe you say, God, forgive me. I've been that person who's made the choice to not engage in your work. Maybe you have engaged in His work and you've forgotten that it's a holy work. It's a specific work. It's a collective work. When you leave these doors this morning, we have a great way to respond. At our Work for Christ table, we're going to have people that represent each of the ministries that have needs. And if you call this place your home and you're not involved, then I know that God's desire for you is to go to one of those tables and say I'm ready so that we're not a church where 80,000 people are cheering on 22 people who need a rest God I thank you today for the amazing opportunity that you have given everyone who has placed their faith and trust in you to be involved in your work it's not a burden it's a blessing God help us to see that it's a holy work It's a specific work. God, give us wisdom to see where you want us to be involved. And God, I thank you that it's a collective work. It's not a work for a few people. God, it's a work for all your people. God, I thank you for what you have done, what you are doing, and what you want and desire to do in this church. And it's in Jesus' precious and holy name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Harvest Bible Chapel Winston-Salem podcast. For more information, visit HarvestWS.org.